Tonight's scripture reading comes from Exodus 3, 1 through 12. I'll give you a second to get there yourself as I get there. All right. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmakers. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Buenas noches. Good evening, Calvary. What a privilege we've been given uh, to be able to gather together today. And as we've been repeating, saying uh, over and over, this is probably a very different uh, Holy Week from previous ones. Um, We're grateful for technology, um, but by any means, this uh, uh, replaces the gift of being with you, the being together in this place. Um, but at the same time, it's a blessing that we have to continue making Jesus Christ known in our parking around the world. On behalf of the elders and ministry staff, I want you to know how much we miss you, how much we miss being with you. This is for me a season to value even more the community and the gift and the blessings we've been given. During this time, we have to be confident of one thing, that is faithful, and he loves us deeply and cares for us despite our present circumstances. And for tonight's message, we're not going to focus as much in, on our Monday Thursday tradition as it is going to be in the Lord of that tradition, his character, his presence, and his love for us. Because it is at the core of God's heart and his love that we are commanded to love one another. And my prayer for us tonight is that um, we get to see God's heart and love for his people, for us. It is in that posture that we can love one another, knowing that we've been given the gift of love because he loved us first. We also have to be fascinated with a God and his character, a God that we're called to love and fear at the same time. 
But to reflect in his character, who he is, and his love, we're going to take a step back from the Holy Week tradition, specifically from Monday, Thursday, and we're going to set ourselves in Exodus 3 as we reflect about God's presence and his love for us. Because we need to have an understanding of God's love. We need to hear what he has to say in the world that we're in today. But before we start, I ask you that you join me in prayer from your homes. Father, we, uh, we come before you uh, in need, um, in a very different, interesting week, Lord, um, that evokes a lot of reflection. Um, I pray that, Lord, that you will visit every family, Lord, every member of this community and anyone who is following us right now, Lord that your spirit will be ministered each and every one, Lord. Pray that this word, your word, will find place in our hearts, that we'll be challenged, encouraged. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I pray that you will give me clarity of mind and speech as I uh, preach your word tonight. I mean to speak the truth and anything but the truth for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen. As we dive into our passage for today, let me provide you with a little bit of context. Back in Exodus 12, the Lord tells Abraham that he will bless all nations through him. And later in Genesis, in Genesis 22, the Lord again reminds Abraham of his promise. But between the reminder of that promise in Genesis chapter 12 and 22, there is a middle section in chapter 15. We will read about God's covenant with Abraham. In verses 13 and 15, we read that Abraham's descendants will be sojourners and slaves for 400 years. That is how we enter into the narrative of Exodus with God's people in Egypt, but on the very, very different, different circumstances from the time that Joseph was there. In chapter 1 of Exodus, we read how Abraham's descendants went from 70 people into becoming a numerous nation. That chapter tells us that they were fruitful and increased significantly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And it seems like they really took Genesis 1, 28 into heart. The Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, is introduced into the narrative because Israel kept on growing in number and he feared that they would turn against them in case of a war with other nations that he decides to oppress them with heavy burdens and enslave them. But not only that, in an attempt to stop this demographic explosion, he orders to cast into the Nile every son born to the Hebrews. And yes, I know what you're thinking, that guy was pretty bad, and he will not be the last. Egyptians looked down to Hebrews for being a minority, at least through their own eyes, but the reality is they were extremely afraid of them. Moses is then introduced in chapter 2. After being born in Eden, he's placed into a basket into the reeds by the Nile River bank, where Pharaoh's daughter rescues him and adopts him as her son. And we know the rest of the how the story goes. Moses flees from Egypt, afraid after killing an Egyptian who was beating one of his own people. We learn that Moses fled to Marianne, where he gets married, settles and starts a new life. And that takes us into the passage that was read to us today where we learned what happened to Moses after 40 years since he left Egypt. 
and how the Lord reveals to him. We met a Moses that is not longer enjoying the privilege he had in Egypt. He came from being a prince into a shepherd, which probably wasn't part of his plan career. Being a shepherd was something that the Egyptians despised deeply. We read that in Genesis 46. But if something is certain is that God approached Moses in a very unexpected time in his life, away from distractions in an unexpected place and with an unexpected job situation, Moses' circumstances dramatically changed, but God didn't. He remained faithful to the covenant with his people. God's revelation and fulfillment of his covenant should have been expected. God, in an act of love, lifts his throne and descends in response to the crying and suffering of his people. In an unexpected time, God should have been expected. But what can we learn from God's character, his revelation, and his love in this passage that should be relevant uh, for us tonight? I would like to make four observations. The first is that the revelation of God's character and love can happen in unexpected places and circumstances, using unexpected means to get our attention. We read that in verses 1 to 4. In a typical work or day of work and by God's providence, Moses was led into the wilderness. God probably could have, meet, uh, could have met Moses where he was in Midian, but instead God brings Moses to where he is at. He gets Moses' interest by using an insignificant element of nature in his means, as his means of revelation. The bush was not different probably from other bushes he had encountered before. But this bush was uniquely different. It was on fire, and yet it wasn't consuming. And that is the miracle that Moses needed to see. That is what God used to get his attention. By getting his attention now, God was communicating to Moses through an act of nature something about his person. He was communicating without words who he is, that he is, a, he is consuming fire, but he's also in control and dominion over his creation and its elements. This powerful God, full of power and glory, descends from his dwelling place on a bush without consuming the bush or destroying it. And that is something unique about God, that he transforms everything that he touches or encounters, but he never changes. And he's always trying to get our attention so that we can turn to him. And once he gets our attention, he calls us into a conversation. He wants to communicate with us. That's what he did with Moses before fully revealing himself. Maybe God wanted to see Moses' response towards that small sign before he can entrust Moses with a bigger task. Whatever our past or current situations are, the Lord is always speaking communicating. He is continuously using unexpected situations to get our attention, but most times we're not seeing nor listening to what he is communicating. With Moses, he used a simple bush to get his attention. But what are the situations that God has been using to get your attention? Do you accept those circumstances as just random or coincidental, or do you see God himself in those? God is such a loving God that he is continually providing opportunities for us to show us that he's pursuing us, that he's chasing after us. For me personally, I can see that when things in my life were not going well and I desperately needed to experience his love and his presence in my life. God's response was to bring people around me that he used to get my attention, people that used to remind me about his character and his love for me. 
what is hard sometimes for me is to recognize God getting my attention in those circumstances because he's always speaking to us. Second observation I want to make tonight is that the revelation of God's God love starts with who he is, that he is a holy God. We read that in verses 4 to 6. Once he gets his, our, his attention, the Lord calls him by name, Moses, Moses. God initiates, and I love this about God. He's always initiating. First by drawing Moses' attention to him, and now with a sense of urgency by calling him by name. He's a personal God that wants to be known in a relationship. Then Moses replies, here I am. And then they embark into a dialogue that develops in the following verses. One of the first things that God does is to set the rules of engagement, boundaries, if I may say, for that specific encounter, something that he wants Moses to remember. And I think Moses did because he learned that God was not an ordinary being, that he is distinct from a mortal man. God is holy and Moses is not. And that's what holy means, to be separated. God is different, distinct from everything, from anyone or anything that he had created. It is important to notice that the place where all the revelation takes place, in that mountain, that the mountain wasn't holy in itself. God made it holy with his presence. And it's that presence that makes the difference, not the place. It was a common approach by uh, people in the ancient East world to observe and worship certain places as holy. But Moses is getting the picture of who is holy in that encounter. Once all the protocols are in place, God reveals himself. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses understands the, the message. He gets it. And he hides his face. He is in the presence of the one and true living God. Moses is receiving revealing information about God. He is also encountering and experiencing God himself. He is in the presence of this awesome, majestic, sovereign, and loving God. What I think could have been a huge revelation for Moses was that God himself was interested in, in a mortal like Moses. A simple man full of regrets, failures with burdens, and oppressive past. Yet God shows his heart to Moses, his love in that display of holiness and glory. In that revelation of himself, God is inviting Moses into a relationship. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had something in common with Moses. They were imperfect, and rather they were broken people. And it seems that broken people somehow are God's ideal working material. <laughs> Throughout the Bible narrative, we see God deeply associated with broken people. He wants to let them know who he is and his love for them, that, he, that his love is sufficient, that his love can conquer any failure, and his grace is enough. There isn't anything in our lives or anyone in this world that God love can take, overcome, or move, or move towards to. There is no place on earth where we can hide from his presence or his love. If you're watching this tonight, and you're assuming that you're, good, that you're a good person or morally right because you obey rules, regulations, or rituals, and that makes you good or right, let me tell you something. That doesn't make you holy. Like Moses, we need to understand that we are not good enough to come before him. That's what we read in Romans 3.10, 3, that no one is righteous. The only way for us to experience his presence was and is to our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice in the cross. 
The grace and love that Jesus exhibited in the cross is what allowed us to approach God without being consumed. Moses hid his face, but we've been given direct access to God. His presence and his everlasting love is available to us through Jesus Christ today. No matter what you've done, where do you come in life? There is hope in God and his love for us. The third observation is that the revelation of God's character also communicates that he's a present God and a God who saves. We read that in verses 7 to 9. Moved by the groaning and the crowd of his people, God tells Moses that he's a God that cares for his people. At the end of chapter 2, we read that he's a God that sees, hears, and knows his people and that he has been actively waiting to act upon their circumstances, but also that he's a God who saves and that now was the moment for him to act upon the situation, not only to save them, but to fulfill his promise and to take them to the land that he promised they would possess. He's a God that does what he said he will do in his time. 400 years. <laughs> that was a lot of time for Israel, but it wasn't for God. Moved by profound love, he left his throne and came down to save his people from their suffering and oppression. He's not a God that is sitting in a chair watching the channels of his creation and eating pizza. <laughs> God can seem, to be, can seem to be quiet, but he's always present. He's an active participant with his creation. He was, he is, and he will be the last boy in the unfolding events of the events in the story of this world. God was saving his people from his labor. He was also wanting them to inherit what he promised and for them to enjoy him and his presence, the presence of a loving, caring father. Before he commands anything from us, he invites us into a natural, real, and vibrant relationship. And this is through Jesus to experience his love. He wants to be an active participant in our lives. And as an active response to that love from us to him is that we are sending to the world as brokers and ambassadors of his message to tell the world that there is hope and assurance through him in the midst of the reality of this world. What we see unfolding through the book of Exodus is a foreshadowing of what this loving God, creator of the universe, this imminent transcendent God, planned to execute in his time through Jesus. And you know what? He did. He did. The God who hears, remembers, sees, and knows will heal this world. And finally, in God's revelation of his character and love, there is an invitation into a relationship that glorifies him. He invites Moses to be an active agent of his love into the world. An important, an important remark to notice is that after God reveals himself, initiates a relationship, and tells him who he is, is when he tells Moses that there is something for him, that he has a part to play in this plan of his. And he wants to do it in a place where there is a relationship. He invites Moses to be his broker and to go and liberate his people from his slavery and their oppressor into the place that he promised. God is commissioning Moses to lead them out of their situation. Israel is facing numerous, numerous calamities, and God is the answer. He is the solution, and he wants Moses to be an active agent of his message. But in the face of such a challenge, of course, Moses' doubts arise. This is like a couple that just met in the park, and after 
10 minutes. She says, I like what I see and I love what you're saying, but you want us to get married now? <laughs> I know what you're thinking, but I don't think God is into the dating business. He wants to get married with us. In the face of this, we need to think about Moses. Probably 40 years ago, Moses' response could have been different. However, a lot has happened in Midian, the wilderness, and his circumstances truly changed who Moses was. But God didn't. He didn't change. From a human perspective, Moses was probably better equipped, trained, and ready to be the great hero that the Hebrew nation needed. And it was all that, and, and probably that he acted out of time on his own strength, what may be disqualified Moses in the first place. But now we encounter a very different Moses. This is how someone described Moses in this moment in his life. He says, he, Moses, had been only too eager to offer himself as a self-styled deliverer prior to his, to his extended training in Midian. But at this point, Moses presented a different problem to the Lord. Moses was now timid, unsure of himself, and shrank back from any self-assertiveness that his divine commission demanded of him. And then he adds, Moses had serious doubts about his own qualifications. Once again, God was about to use a person who was keenly aware of his own defects and who saw no advantage or position over others. Moses was right where God wanted him to be. And into this inadequacy, God responded, I will be with you. The Lord did not even bother to answer Moses to Moses' question in verse 11, because this task wasn't about Moses. God was not sending Moses to Egypt by himself like the patriarchs before him. God promised to be present with Moses. That idea of God being present with his brokers is something that is repeated in the biblical narrative. God's active presence with Moses was the changing factor, not Moses. It was God from the beginning to the end, and Moses was the means through which God, his message and glory will be displayed in Egypt. Moses just needed to surrender, fully surrender himself and rest in God's hands. <laughs> As an engagement ring is a proof of a future wedding celebration, God's word was Moses' proof. God was telling Moses that he needs to have assurance, faith, by knowing that he wants to be worshipped in that mount, mountain by his people. That, God, that, that, that was God's proof, and that would eventually increase Moses' faith. Pretty much what God was telling Moses is, I told you what I'm going to do. When you get to see how I will deliver my people from Egypt, I will bring you here. You will remember these words that I just spoke to you, and you will remember that I'm faithful, that I will fulfill my promises, and your faith in me will increase. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about anything, strategies, anything. I already did. I already figured everything out. Have faith in me and in my word. God was asking Moses to believe in faith in his word. God promised to honor his word and to be present with him as he sent him as a broker to Egypt. But Moses has to be all in. 
God didn't need a perfect and fully equipped Moses. He needed a Moses ready to say yes without having all details figured out. God needed someone who can obey and trust him in faith. After that journey from Egypt, we'll see a Moses with an increased faith and with a deep desire to love and to know more God. As I say, God is not into the business of dating. He wants us all for himself. He wants, to trust, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to be committed. God is inviting us tonight to be conduits of his love and his word as he restores and heals this world. As we faithfully commit ourselves, for as broken and imperfect as we are, our faith will, be, will grow stronger for the world to see that we have a God that saves and a God that fulfills his promises. In the same way that God sent Moses to Egypt, God sent his son as a proof of his deep love for us. And in the same way that Jesus commissioned his disciples, we are commissioned, we are to be commissioned to be sent into the world. That might look different for everyone, but his word and commandment to go is for all of us. In these passages tonight, we learn about God's character, a God that is moved by love, that God uses unexpected situation and unexpected means to get our attention, that he's holy and we're not that he saves us, move out of his love and promises to his people, and that he invites us into a relationship that gives us meaning, purpose, that honors him and gives him glory. So when we think about the love that we profess having for others, we need to remember that we love because he loved us first. And for thousands of years, the Lord has acted upon his word. His love and his promises, as we can see those promises in the first, in the first chapters of Exodus, He's a faithful God. Like him, his word is unchangeable and unshakable. In a very unusual Holy Week, this requires and evokes an unusual reflection. In, in 1 John 4.20, we read, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. God is the Lord of Monday, Thursday, and his love is stronger than our tradition. Out of that love that we confess having for God, how are we loving each other this week during this season? And where have you experienced God's presence and love during this week? How do we move from one event in our lives into God's daily presence and assurance that he wants us to have? Because the moment that we lose faith, the moments that we lose sense of his presence, love, and who he is, is when we turn into fear, doubts, and we start to focus on ourselves and our circumstances only. First John 4:18, and I, I'm going to close with this, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. That you are a faithful God, a holy God, a sovereign God that intervenes over and over in the appropriate times of our lives. Always in a time that will give you glory. Thank you for the reminder today of your love for us. 
You are a God that hears, remembers, sees, and knows. We acknowledge that you are a present God. You are so near. You are so perfect. You are so holy, God. Thank you for the privilege, the privilege we have been given to be called your children, that we belong to you. And we thank you for inviting us into a relationship through your son, Jesus Christ, to be part of what you're doing in this world. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you will awaken our souls into worship and adoration and that we can long for you every day of our lives. Thank you for your word and for the promises that we have in it and the promise that you will restore this world. Maybe you what we desire the most in our lives. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our King, the one that we worship, we pray.